cliffcentral.com All right. Um, there it is, Leanne Moll's new single. Thank you. I've been this her. week, yeah. Sounds like Working a good hard. pop song. And, uh, pops, like, pops my game. Yeah, yeah, that's your game. Mm. You and uh, Taylor Swift. That's it. That's great, huh? <laughs> All right, so we got a lot to talk about this morning, and we've got a special guest who's joined us, and uh, we'll be introducing you to her in just a moment or two. Uh, so many exciting things to talk about. Uh, while we're on this thing of Taylor Swift, just quickly tell us the story there of, of the deep fakes. What's going on there, Leanne? So X, or Twitter, um, has made Taylor Swift's name unsearchable. Why? Because of... How will the Swifties get up in the mornings and <laughs> be able to find the stuff they need about Taylor Swift to power them through their day? Well, I don't know. Are the Swifties using X to find stuff out about Taylor? I'm not sure. Not using their brains, that's for sure. So they're going to be using something. <laughs> oh, come on, Gareth. Um, but yeah, apparently there were a whole lot of AI-generated porn images oh. of Taylor Swift. Oh, no. It was bound to happen. And not only images, but videos so as well. Her. I feel bad for her. Yeah. So they fake. They're not real. No, they're not real. Oh, definitely not. That's so unfair. Um, so Mashable, who we know is uh, quite reputable, mm. was able to produce the error page for the terms Taylor Swift AI, Taylor AI, mm-hmm. the terms um, Swift AI, and Taylor AI Swift. Oh. Um, those are all searchable, but you cannot search Taylor Swift. If you search Taylor Swift, it comes up as a something went wrong, try reloading. I haven't tried this morning, but this was as of last well, night. Well, you know, you, if you don't know where the Taylor Swift porn is, then no one will. <laughs> no, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been searching high and low. <laughs> <laughs> you and a bunch of perverts living in their parents' basements all over America. Okay, let's talk. To Catherine van Weingart, I've known Catherine for a long time. She's an S, ex-South African police service uh, lieutenant colonel, and she's got a hell of a story, and it's great to have her in the studio. She came and visited us the other day in her uniform, probably for the last time here at the studio, mm-hmm. and she told us she's retiring after Jeez. years in the police doing all the good things for us. I thought, you know what? We don't often get to hear the stories of a retired policeman. In this case, also, women in the police. It, retiring from as, as a police, somebody who's been in the in the police force, um, is it sounds like such a big deal, and it is because you've you've dedicated so much of your time and your life to that. Whereas someone just retiring from banking, it's like yeah, oh please, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't follow you home. No, but it's also like oh, well, des- well deserved. Really, yeah. take the time and enjoy it. So it's lovely to have you here, Catherine. How are you? Let me just turn on your mic there. Um, there we go. Good morning. I'm morning. good. I'm happy. I'm in good spirits, mm-hmm. mentally and physically. So they, they, they didn't wear you out, the police? Um, I took care of myself. I don't rely on people. You have to, right? I have to, yeah. yeah. But I'm good after a career of nearly 40 decades. Four I, decades. Don't four say decades. 40. Sorry. Otherwise, it would be 400 no. years. <laughs> four decades. Um, I just missed the 40. Yes, I would have been 40 years this July. Yes. But due to age restrictions, I had to leave before the 40 years. And that is common course in the police. So, yeah, is there a, is, there's a mandatory retirement yes, age, yes. right? If so it's not 60, like... You have okay. to go. So, so tell us quickly, because, I mean, you, you grew up in Uppington and you were the only girl. You had four brothers. 
you must have been a tough uh, little girl already by the time that you decided to, to, to leave school and go and join the police. I mean, before then, long before then, you were already tough as nails, right, with four brothers. Yes, I had to toughen up with those four brothers. Um, I had to be strong because they made me strong. Sure. Um, growing up in the dusty streets of Uppington in a very poor community, but mm-hmm. I was raised by good parents. Um, my dad crisscross South Africa. He was a truck driver for, I think, 40 years. It's a hard job too. And hey. my mom was a house, housewife keeping the house intact while my dad was driving through South Africa, Namibia. Yeah. Um, but she was very strict with us. Growing up as the only girl, there was no time for me to be in the streets. No, you mm. were given lots of jobs to do at home. No. Yeah. I was told by my dad, you have, don't have to do anything. This boys can do it. You are not a mate. Take your books and study. Okay. Oh, wow. Yes. So my mom was very strict and my dad was the soft one. I don't know because I was the only girl, but it was very yeah, tough. Yeah, that's usually what Yes, happens. with the boys, but <laughs> I am very fortunate to have such parents. Um, my brothers were very protective over me, but they guided me. Were they also. older or younger? I was the fourth child. Okay. So I had three older brothers, and then I had a last-born brother. But my mom also adopted a two-month-old baby okay. along the road. So we had a last-last-born last Okay. And I think he was the most spoiled. No, it's usually the yes. case. So, Catherine, it's interesting that you bring up both your parents because mm-hmm. as a police officer, you must have realized very early on that part of the big problem that we have that nobody talks about in this country, or when we talk about it, we kind of give it lip service, is that people's family units have broken down. So many of the criminals, so many of the bad influences in society come from the basic breakdown of the family. There isn't a dad, maybe, or the dad and the mom don't get along, or the dad abuses the mom, or, you know, it starts there. It's not like there's just this bizarre, uh, some luck, some unlucky people. There's a lot to do with the family that's gone wrong in this country. Yes, there's a lot of broken families. Yeah. Um, Families broke down, and then it has a bad influence on kids also, because who's going to give guidance if there's only one parent? And sometimes... I don't want to generalize. Most of those households are female-headed yeah. households yes. where absent dads don't care. Um, for me, it was a good experience to live in our house because there was a lot of values that both parents instilled in us. And even though your dad was working so yes. hard, he was very much present. Yes, very much, very much present. We know where you were in the country. Um, when he arrives on Friday, I can remember... Vividly, I was sitting, I was stupid, I'm waiting for my dad to come with his green car. Always I know he will bring me Smarties, and Smarties were the, were the <laughs> eat sweets on that time. Um, so growing up there, I saw a lot of crime. And I think uh, the incident that pushed me to become a police officer, I think I was in grade eight, mm-hmm. and I saw how someone was murdered in our street. And the whole community was quiet. No one wanted to say anything because you will be a villain in the community if you speak up. I think it happened around about 8 o'clock at night and I stood at our gate and I saw everything. So was the person stabbed, shot? He was killed with stones and anything. <gasps> so when the police visited our street, me and an uncle opposite us, we saw. 
And the uncle went and he to speak the truth because I was underage. I couldn't say anything. And that urged me to say, I'm going to make a difference in society that this thing won't happen. Murder was such a big issue in the community. Yeah. You will just wake up Saturday morning, yeah, this one was stabbed to death, this one was killed. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to take myself out of that community and do something else to see if I can stop this uh, murders in the community. That's quite a brave thing to do. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, people who, who talk about what they see mm -hmm. get into sometimes mm -hmm. more trouble than the yes. criminal. Yes. Because in these communities, people, they're scared. They don't want to speak out. Yes, people don't want to speak up because they fear what will happen to their families also. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of South Africa's problems are as a result of us keeping quiet. Because people sometimes think, oh, no, no, stay out of this. Mm. It's none of my business. Yeah. I've got to keep quiet. And then things don't get better. They get worse. Absolutely. We've so. got to have the courage to be able to stand up and, and, and point to the people in our communities who are doing bad things and have them arrested. Yeah, and, and then growing up with boys, and you know boys likes to be in the street at night, I will sit up and wait for my brothers to come home what time of the morning mm. because this thing of in the morning wake up and you hear someone is dead um, was so bad for me as a child. Did it make you extremely anxious as a little girl? Yes, Waiting yes. for your brothers? Yes, and I was the one that always opened the door for them to come home and then I know I'm at ease, they are safe at home. So that was in the late 80s. Mm. And then both of my brothers moved to Namibia because that time Namibia was still part of South Africa. Yes, that's right. Southwest Africa. Yes, and oh. they worked in Namibia. They also went into the security environment. I don't want to speak mm. about that. But they've teach me to be a disciplined police officer. I remember the day that I went to college, one of my brothers... He was packing my bags. He put the washing bags in the pantyhose, the polish, <laughs> and I polish. I need to get menorah blades. And I didn't understand why do I need these things. And then he sat me down and said, this is how you clean your shoes. This is what you will do, this wow. and this. So they packed my bags to, 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 to leave to the police college. So you were more prepared than you would have been yes, if you didn't and, have that and, guidance. And, and I grew up in the house where my dad was very politically advanced for his age. Okay. So he teaches us a lot about the politics of South Africa and Africa as a whole. And I mean, in the 80s, obviously, it was a very different world to the South Africa we're in now, right? Yes, it was very different. And as a colored woman then, you looked at the opportunities ahead of you and you thought, well, this is limited. Yes, it was. Because you, you were told, like, these are, there are certain jobs you just won't be able to get. Yes, and especially growing up in that community and the political environment in that era. But even in the police, I mean, it yeah. was very political. Very, very much so. Because if you went into the police, you were almost helping the bad guys, the government. Yes, and, and not that you are a villain in your society. Yes. Because why are you not a teacher? Because I remember when I was in matric, um, the teachers will come to you and say, this is the forms to apply for bursaries. You will go to um, University of Western Cape or the Technicon. Mm -hmm. You must be a teacher or you must be a... A, a, a nurse, or you must mm. go and work at Colored Affairs, or you must go there. So I opt to say I was the only one that said I'm going to join the police. So I was, and at that time, the first platoon of Colored women joined in 1981, sure. and I matriculated mm. in 82. <laughs> so while in matric, I applied to be a police officer, but I was not recruited. They took another girl. 
And then my dad's job moved him to George. This is where we relocated to. In George, um, with the help of someone, I got to work a job at Colored Affairs as a clerk. Was there a bad reaction to you saying that you wanted to be in the police? Yes, I remember the teacher that gave us another subject was saying, you are going to be nothing. Because why do you want to join the police? Because our school was very much into politics. But you also were doing well at school. Yes. You had great marks. You're one of the really smart kids. And so they were disappointed you wanted to go. Yes, because I was supposed to be a teacher like the rest of my class because most of my peers are teachers. Mm. Some of them are principals, school principals Mm. today. So when we moved to George, um, I remember one night I sat with my mom and said, I still want to be a policewoman. So I then at that age of 19 was a very brave Mm. girl. I wrote a letter to the then apartheid national commissioner. Wow. I don't know. I can't even remember. Was it Van der Merwe or who else? I wrote and said, I want to be a policewoman. So I never went to any police station to say, I want to apply. I wrote a letter to, to the, the commissioner. To the national commissioner. My mom <laughs> went with me um, to the post office. We bought the stamp and we posted a letter. Not shy, eh? Huh? No. And then I worked, like I said, at this colored affairs, the home affairs entity. By December 83, someone came to our house, the special branch police, and said, and my mom was saying, what did the boys do now? Oh, no. <laughs> God, <laughs> Remember? frightening. Yeah, so this colored guy and a white guy came to our house, special branch. They said, are you the girl that applied for the police? And I was very brave. I said, yes. And at that stage, um, I read a lot of biographies on politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to the library and I was searching for books to read. And um, the special branch has most this label attached to them. But I was not scared. I said, yes, I applied because I want to be a policewoman. So they went to our church. They called the school and my friends to say, am I good to be a policewoman? Oh, wow. They're putting you through your, your yes, tests. it was tough. So that was December. By January, they came back and say, unfortunately, your application is too late for the January group, January till June group, but your application is still valid. So now during that period from January to June, I had to go so many times to the doctor to check if I'm good, if I'm not pregnant, all those stuff. You right, had to go they, they used to have a very strict selection process. Yes, and then while working, I think a week before I left to college, they came again to me and said, you need to resign within 24 hours at this job. What were you doing then in between? I was a clerk at Home Affairs. So um, I had to resign 24 hours because Hmm. the Saturday I had to hop on the train and and go to Cape Town. Is that where the training college was? Bishop Lavis in Cape Town. Right. Not ever went in a train. My mom went with me to the police station now to get my... My train ticket. So remember the party days, the police station had two doors. Right. Whites only and whoever only on the other side. So I walk into the wrong door. <laughs> so this guy starts. It's a great way to start. Yes, this guy starts. <laughs> Good to day one. At me. <laughs> what do you want? Why are you in this side? And I look at him. I said, I'm here to fetch my train ticket to go to the police college. And then he looked, and then a colored warrant officer walked past and said, are you the student that must go to the college? I said, yes, can I please get my ticket? Yeah. 
So while handing over the ticket now, this white guy came to me and said, when you come back from college, you must work with us. I said, I will never work with you. You don't have manners. <laughs> Remember Good. that? Good. It was 1984, in the heat of Jeez. the yeah. turmoil in South Africa. So my mom had to, now we have to walk from the police station to the train station. There was no taxis. My dad is not around. My mom can't drive. So we walk. Hmm. And it was winter. It was cold. I remember I had a mm. black coat on and we walked to the train station. So scared, I never traveled in a train. So we had, I got into the train, bye-bye to mommy, and then off to Bialvo. I never slept the whole night in the train. I was sitting straight. And in the train were a lot of soldiers that also traveled to Cape Town. And they were doing their soldier things up and down in the train. I was sitting with an old lady in that train coach sitting there. Get off from Belva. Now they come and collect you at the train station to go to the police college. But my brothers mentally prepared me for what mm. is going to happen when I arrived at the college. Still this girl with two earrings in the ears. So when I arrived, they said, we don't have time for gangsters. Remove one of your ears, your earrings from your ears. Uh, so you can only wear one earring. Only each. one earring. Yeah, this is yeah. part of the dress code of the police. Oh, Wearing high heels, we were a few girls that they collect. Now you must go with your suitcases with us, uh, with us high heels, and wear the little parade ground. This is the way you get you. <laughs> we had to go and run with high heels on the ground. Run? Yes. And then they inducted us into the police. And the training, is it very? was it difficult to, to go through all that training? Did they put extremely difficult tests and obstacles and things in your way where they're trying to ascertain who the the really smart people were what they could what you were ready for what you weren't yeah we came from different um provinces yeah we were i was the first woman of color that joined the police in george okay so i came from george and that's, that's quite a big deal yeah i was the first brave one to enter that male right. environment and again that must have got you some funny looks from people because you were doing something nobody else had done at, at that point from Re that community. I remember at that stage, I was not that known in George. We just yeah. arrived 83 in right. George. Right, so nobody and really knew. No, in 84, know. I went to college. So I had a small circle of friends from and church. And in the, in the training college, did you feel welcome? You know, coming with different backgrounds into the college, and my brothers mentally prepared me, mm. and they told me how tough it will be. I was ready to take it on. And growing up as the only girl, now I have to share with 17 other girls mm. space. You were ready for this, though. Yeah. So um, it was tough at times. Mentally, it can be very tough. And as goofy as I am, very naughty, I was the first girl that they turned over the bed because I did not make my bed straight enough. Uh, oh. Yes, they, they do your inspections every yes, morning. Yes, I did not know. Remember coming back that I was not so domestic. Domesticated. Mm. Mm. You have to fold your, your perfectly hospital, hospital corners, and then your my sheet. There must not be something hanging down there. Yeah. So mine was hanging there. So my bed was turned over. I was making a joke out of it. <laughs> I, I was never personally affected by it because, like I said, my brothers prepared me. But there was a lot of tears, a lot of laughs, a lot of jokes. And when you got out, you were, you went to Muscle Bay first, right? Yes. Because you couldn't work at the George Police Station because they didn't know how to deal with women of color yet. Yes. That's what they told you. We don't know how to deal with a woman of color. 
Imagine that. And being the first one in that area, yeah. they don't know how to be caught. But there was a lot of other people of color at the police stations, at the police station of George, but there was white women, but I couldn't work. I had to go to Mosul. Hmm. And my parents stay in George. So when I have rest days, I have to ask permission to go home. I couldn't just, when it's time couldn't of sleep. go, mm. I must ask the commander of the police station. Can so I? what do you remember about those first years that you were actually an officer doing police work? Do they start you off with office stuff? Did they send you straight out into the field? Yeah. Can, can I quickly go back to the college? So at college, you also get your theory and then we have shooting exercises and all those stuff. So I was the best academic female at the college with 94%. Jeez. And then they will um, identify the top 10 of the college, male and female. So I was position number seven, the only female amongst the males. So the day that they called out my name to walk forward, I was just saying, God, what did I do again? Because <laughs> I was... Always in the naughty bun. Meanwhile, they were, they were giving you a yes. position in the top ten. I was 10. so shocked. I stood there and I looked at everyone. I said, How's your okay. shooting at that stage, Catherine? I didn't like it, Catherine. Were you not good? No. <laughs> I remember one day we used, we used to have this firearm. Um, I don't can't remember. We have to shoot. And my plate didn't turn. And this instructor told me, go and kick it over because you can't shoot it over. So I, I didn't like firearms at all. I even up to today. Was it the first time you'd held a firearm? Yes, or they, touched they, one? they first they train you how to put it together to assemble it and mm. the different type of rounds, different type of mm. firearms. So I did not like it all, at all, but there was a one lady that was the best shooting student and I was the best academic student. Mm. And then you have your overall yeah, well that's, uh, that's okay. You need all kinds. Yeah. yeah. So... But going back to the station, when you arrived, I remember you are a female now in a men's world. Yeah. So when I arrived at that police station, we were three females. They arrived before me. The one that attended, the, she was one of the first ladies of color. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, and I was the third one. So your only job for you is to work in the community service center. You are not supposed to work outside. You are female. You work inside oh. behind the counter. You take statements. You do mm. the shift work. Okay. So I can't move to George because of people's perceptions and preferences of women. A bit of racism yeah. and sexism. Yeah. So in 87, they built a police station now in George in the colored community. That is the time that I could go home. Okay. So yes. you finally got to be back with the family. Yes. Um, still the first woman of color that sure. worked at that police station for the longest part. Right. So my job started at that police station, and I want to name it, Conville Police Station in George. Mm -hmm. And then through the ranks, I became a lunch sergeant. And that was also given to me because of good work by my station commander. So he wrote a letter to the national office, and they awarded me that rank. And it was a white captain. So I've worked hard, Gareth. I'm telling you from day one, I said mm. to myself, I've joined to serve and protect. I did not join for self-interest yeah. or to impress other yeah. people. So I went through the ranks. I worked at the station. At the later stage, I became the, like the secretary of the station commander. So mm -hmm. I did all the admin at the police station, still being the old, only woman. Later on, we got a typist. At least now we are two. <laughs> Two females at the police station. Leanne was a typist for me <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> so um, I had to learn fast. 
there's no training for you at the station. You're already trained at the station. You must and, at and, college. And let's just be clear, even in the social services mm. stuff, you're mm. dealing with some hardcore things. You're dealing yes. with, you know, pe- women coming in reporting rapes. You're dealing with uh, domestic violence yes. issues. You're dealing with mm. communities where things are falling apart. Yes. So it's not it's not just because you're sitting in the office doesn't mean you're not dealing with some no. hardcore stuff. No. Right? And and remember, it was during the apartheid years, 84. Yeah. Um, domestic violence was not highlighted in any structure. It's normal thing. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Go to church. People will pray for you. You will, you will fix this thing. Yeah. It was not a law. As now. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Sure. And um, I don't know if it was was worse because <coughs> it was under the carpet as compared to now, if you can see all the GBV mm-hmm. um, deaths and assaults that's happening now. Sure. So um, I've worked in all environments at the police station, in all, everything. I was even investigating dockets also. What did you like doing the most um, and what did you find you were the best at? Was it going out into the field and doing the, the investigations? Was it doing the administration? Was it running the, the – because, I mean, you, you rose in the ranks quite quickly. I mean, by the time you retired, you were a lieutenant colonel. Do you think it's quickly? We will get there. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll I mean, it seems like um, you, you, I, you I, won – let me just show people this quickly because you won Policewoman of the Year in the Northern Cape. You were the second runner-up in Policewoman of the Year in the Free State. And in the Free State, you also received an, a, an acknowledgement as Heidedal, I've been to Heidedal with you, <laughs> of the year. And it seems to me like, you know, in the police, prior to 94, they had a very dis- different system to what they had after. And you said you knew a bit about the political system, but the police became very political. Yes. So it wasn't necessarily just about the hard work sometimes. Because people would be advanced depending on who they knew before and after 94. De- definitely, definitely <coughs> so. Um, I participated in all the courses that was available for me. I wrote my exams to elevate you in the ranks also. Sure. Um, but the promotion policies changed throughout the years. It was not the same as previously, that you automatically get promoted. Now you must apply for post. Yeah. And then the correct candidate will be chosen for those posts. But I've joined, like I said, to serve and protect my communities. I loved more to work with people and to empower people and to assist people and guide people. So I was working like in the community service center. Like I said, I work all the environments. At a later stage, I also became in the George area, the first woman of color to be a station commander at the rank as a warrant officer. Sure. At a small farming station. And that also groomed me. Um, I remember 1990, oh, 1999, I received a certificate as the best warrant officer station in Western Cape. Not having a lot of personnel. I've done most of the stuff myself. How, how many people were working with you there? We were four. four at a small police station okay. called Nelsport on your way. Three sisters, there's a turn off. Mm. So at that stage, there were warrant officer station and stations and the Area commissioner decided to empower us also now to move into the areas to become station commanders. Right. So at a young age, I started as a station commander and I did the job of a station commander for 28 years. Mm. That is the post that I love the most in the police. 
Okay. Mm. Why, why was that? You know, it gave me the opportunity to engage with communities and also to guide my people that work under my command to do the right thing, not for yourself, for the community. So I started at a young age, but I've worked at the inspectorate where we do inspections at police stations. I worked for five months when I came to Gauteng mm. at the national office at the training uh, environment where yeah. I was responsible to compile exam papers for people that were at the training colleges also. That's, a, that's yeah. interesting stuff. So yeah. in essence, you did become a teacher of sorts eventually yes. anyway. Yes, and I, 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 I believe I've had it in me to be a teacher, but in the police, but not a teacher at, mm. at school. But my teachers yeah. want me to be. I became a teacher in the police. Mm. What did you think of other people? You've given us your reasons for going mm. into the police, but is that true for everybody? Are there some people who go into the police because they have other motives are there people who go into the police because they don't know what else to do and it seems like a good idea? I mean, w- because when you're a station commander, you also have to figure out why is this person here? What do they really want out of the job? Not all of them wanted to serve the community and engage. People have their own reasons why they joined. Sure. I, I cannot speak on behalf of other people. No, sure. But, but as you go through, you can really see this one doesn't belong here. Maybe it was just a job opportunity. And as jobs are so scarce... People see the only avenue, let me go and join the police. But wherever I've worked, I've encouraged my people to study. Go and empower yourself. As I left my current station, I have one person with an honours degree. I have people with BA. There's people that have diplomas. Once made promises now to me to say, you have encouraged others to stay. I'm going to enroll also to stay, to study. You see, the reason I'm asking you is mm. because I don't doubt any of that stuff for a second because I've, I've known you a little mm. while and it, it appears obvious to me that you would want to help people. You'd want to make sure that they advance themselves and you know, exploit the opportunities that are thrown at them and all those kind that they have to seek for themselves. But we, all we hear in the news is bad stuff. All we hear in the news is that the police are underpaid, that there's no motivation – that it's a hard job, the hours are long, the job is tough on your, your mental health, it's tough on you physically. And, and we, as citizens... Not, you're not respected. Yeah, and we look at this and we think, well, why would anyone want to be a police mm. officer? Yes, what you say is true, Gareth. Um, it's what you make of it. Um, there's a lot of bullying also mm. that yeah. happen. We yeah. cannot deny it. Um, but I made myself... If I set a goal for me, I did not join because of you. I've joined to serve and protect the police. Yes, there's bad stuff, but there's also good stuff that happened. But normally the good, bad stuff overshadow the good stuff that's happening in the police. I'm not going to sit here and dismiss the police are so bad. There's good stuff also. But people are bad and bring bad things into the police. And we cannot deny it. The image of the police needs to be changed by police people. The community cannot change it. When you are a seasoned police officer and you joined for the good, you need to do good to the community. Yeah. You cannot go there for self-interest and elevate yourself to have money in the police. And, and power. And power mm. and, and abuse your power sometimes also. Like I said, I, I, I've worked at different police stations. I remember when I was, I became an officer in Uppington. I went back to Uppington and I was the first female 
station commander, mm. that police station. I've worked hard in the community, but people can derail you also sometimes. I remember, I can't remember, was it 2005 or 2004? Okay. That I received a good compliment of the judge president of Northern Cape also, where I had the most arrests for my station for petty crimes because my viewers also root out the petty crimes, then you will get to the bigger crimes also. Yeah, it's that idea of, um, of the um, broken window syndrome. Bob, yeah, right? that uh, um, Giuliani system. of New York. Giuliani, correct. Yeah. He said if you notice a broken window and yeah. you do nothing about it, then the neighborhood just gets worse and worse. Yes. So, and more and more terrible things will start to happen. So you fix the broken mm, window. Yes, and, and, and that is also the period that Baby Chapang, the rape of Baby Chapang came out. Oh my of God, what a horrible mm, story. Yes, but it had, did not happen in my station area. It was my neighbor's station. So um, there's a lot that I've done. I remember I've established a safe house in Uppington mm. with the assistance of sure. a NGO yeah. in the community. Whenever we have domestic violence cases and there's no shelter, we take the woman there. And then from the station, we try to feed that person for the night also. Mm. So the next morning, this person can move wherever she wants to go. But Catherine, when you are station commander in a place like Uppington, <laughs> mm. what are your main, what are the things you, you're most busy with? Because you mentioned that you did the, the most arrests at your station mm. for petty crimes, mm. like theft probably mm. and that sort of thing. Mm. What are the big issues in a community like that? What are the really serious issues that you tried to come to grips with and to sort out? Violence. What kind of violence? Assaults. Really? Assaults and abuse of liquor. Mm. Domestic violence and just the ills in the community. I don't think the police is the entity to address those societal intents, um, issues in the community. We need to have joint structures with social development, Department of Education, Department of Economic Affairs to get involved and give people jobs so that they can keep themselves. But they, and then also the, the uncontrollable youth. So let's just talk mm. about this for a second. Mm. And the reason I bring it up mm. is the same reason I brought up that you were raised mm. by your father mm. and mother in mm. a certain way yeah. and raised with discipline and mm. you know, given a good grounding. Yeah. Because if you have that, you can go into any job one yep. day and you'll be able to find mm. a purpose. But I, I wonder about the, the real social problems. And the police know mm. these things because mm. you're dealing with it at the coalface. Yes. You're dealing with people coming in there where they've got domestic abuse, mm. they've got alcohol abuse, Drugs are a big issue with young people. And it starts with that. And some people get trapped and they never get out of that. And then there's violence and there's gangsterism and there's all kinds of, st of, of stuff that comes out from there. And it's not just in Uppington. Then, it's all over the country. Oh, yes. Because you've, you've worked all over South Africa. Yeah, I've worked in – this is my fourth province. Um, be available as a station commander. It's very important for your community. You cannot say, it's weekend, I'm off, don't call me. Yeah, so so are you, how many hours a day do you have to spend in the station as a station commander? According to our administrative processes, you work from 8 o'clock till 4 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Normally at 6 o'clock I was at the police station. You were still there? I was still in the morning, I'm still there. Oh right, you would get there were, extra yeah, early. Yeah, prepared to go to school. I'm early, so before the staff arrive, I'm settled in. Sure. You have to go 4 o'clock, sometimes mm -hmm. I'm leaving 5 o'clock. Yeah. So and, then, and then you have to be on your phone all the time as well. You have to listen to your peers or your supervisors, and then you also have 
the community that can call you at any time. So you have to be available. And are the community very engaged with the police? I established a structures at the police station. I had um, Women Against Crime. I had the CPF, the Community Policing Forum, and I had the Youth Brigade at my station also. So I was very much involved and I draw in my members to be involved because I cannot be the only yeah. person to be involved with the structures um, at the police station. So as a station commander, you need to think out of the box. You need to be available. But you also have to balance your family life at the other. Yeah, of course, because you have kids. Yeah, you have kids. And um, I left Uppington and then I went to, to other areas. Um, I went to the inspector team that I set for inspections. But my aim was to get to Free State to put my kids in the university. Within seven months, I arrived in Free State and put my son first <laughs> to university. My daughter went to high school in Free State. I'm I'm amazed at how you know the police does mm. it does as a as an institution as, mm. a, as an arm of kind of civil society mm. stroke government because the police is a vehicle for people to make a life for themselves as police officers mm. and and because they can move you around there are opportunities that open yes. up and I like that because mm. we often think of it as like a a really difficult career where there are not a lot of prospects. Mm. And you said earlier you'll talk about promotions. We'll yeah. get to that in a second mm. because it's not so straightforward. Mm. Um, what was the toughest community you were in? Bloomsprite in Bloemfontein. Why was that especially hard? <sighs> There's a lot of informal settlements. Yeah. The environmental structure of that area was not good at all. Sometimes you can't drive with a vehicle into the area. Mm. Why is that? Because it's houses built on top of each yes, other. Yes, and, and there's no space. There, there's no, no infrastructure. No infrastructure. No lights. Yeah. And then we had to operate during the night. We have to go and patrol and do everything. And the murders were bad. The domestic violence were bad. But I worked there for um, I can't remember two or three or two years, and then um, they put me at. In, in charge of the administrative environment because I did have the expertise of yeah. that. And then they they approached me to say, hey, the police station doesn't have a station commander. Are you prepared to go into that environment? I said, yes, I'm a trained station commander. I've already went through the courses being a station commander also. So I moved to Heidedal. Well, that's when I met you. Yes, this is where you met me in Heidedal. Same environment, a lot of poverty. But tough, tough, tough very, very tough. dangerous, drug difficult. Drug infested, yeah, yeah, sure. not gang infested, but drug infested. Drugs. And young people with nothing to do. Yes, very much so. It was. But I made the police station like a haven for everyone to come to me with whatever challenge they have. They will come and enter the police station and say, we have this challenge. Can you please help us out? It's not a police job. But I will pick up my phone and call the Department of Education. I will call social development. I will call whoever that this person needs assistance. I remember there was one school in in, in Heidedal. I don't want to name the school, but they remember they have this, how they classify schools, quintal one, quintal two, or I don't, I can't remember. I don't know how that works. Yeah, they have, they, some get government subsidies, some don't get. Okay, all right. So, it's just, okay, gotcha. So, there was one school where the kids were so poor. I remember I had a project where I managed to give school shoes to the needy children at school mm. also. And then we approached the department about this classification of schools. 
with the help of the community structure, mm-hmm. the school governing body in the department, that school was exempted for the kids to pay school fees. Sure. Mm. A couple of comments. I mean, that's just going. That's going mm. beyond, way beyond your job. For Especially sure. Especially the the part where you say um, you would call the educational department on their behalf. Mm. How many times do we, as citizens, walk into a government um, building or a municipality building, and the answer is just no? You're in the wrong place. Never. This is where you should go, or here's the number, or let me call for you. Mm. Such an important thing. Is there are a few comments here. Azalea says, my mum lives down the road from that police training college in Bishop, Bishop Lavis you were talking about. It's still there and still operational, she says. Can you please, Carl wants to know, talk about the training of police now as opposed to when you started. What's it like now? Has, how much has changed? Um, I think the syllabus of them changed. I'm not so into the training, what's happening at the training colleges now. Um, remember in our period, we didn't have rights. We would just say, you'll wake up and you'll do this and we follow the rules. I don't and know now, what's happening. Now they get uh, cotton uh, pillows and uh, they get uh, a lunchbox packed for them. And if, they're Egyptian not, cotton. if, they, need a, if they need a rest day because they're feeling a bit tired, they can have a rest day. You guys, were, you were, it was tougher in your day. With us, it was very tough. And um, <laughs> I remember our blankets were those gray blankets. Yeah, I remember yeah. Oh, no, those blankets. Um, and like I said, I was very goofy and very naughty. Sometimes I didn't slap on my bed because I don't want to make it. I slept on my trunk. Really? On my bed too. Not to be turned around again. <laughs> I slept on my trunk. But you had to make the best out of your police training. Um, what's happening now, I cannot talk about it because I'm not okay. exposed. Did you make a lot of friends, by the way? Yes, we, we were 18 girls. We are 17 one passed away, and July last year, we had our reunion. We went to Mosul Bay. How many years reunion? 38 years. Jeez. No, 13, 39 years, our <coughs> reunion. We met up in Mosul Bay. We stayed for three or four days. And nothing changed between us. The love was still there. That's We're still fantastic. good friends. Um, I was telling them to say, yes, life has put us up and down, <laughs> but we are still here. And I think three or four is still wait, working today. Oh, wow. I think four of them is still in the rest. But now you all have a mandatory retirement age, right? So yes. yes. Some left early, some left for medical reasons. Um, like I said, one retired now, the 31st series. She's retiring, so there's a few left. Hugh wants to know. Hugh says, uh, huge reaction is his name. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) He says, what was the most shocking crime you ever witnessed or heard of occurring during your time? Of recently, I attended a crime scene where two people were killed in Ivory Park. Yeah? Um, There's no leads, there's nothing. I've, I've attended a few of those scenes. But the worst one that I ever, ever attended was while I was a warrant officer station commander in Nelsport in Western Cape, an accident where six or seven people died. And there was one early in my career in Mosul Bay where 11 people died due to an accident. Are those horrible just because of the carnage? The carnage, it was bad. And then um, they couldn't identify the bodies. Wow. And then they said, uh-huh. Us that were on duty must go to the mortuary and check if we don't 
recognize oh, some wow. of them. Oof. And the bodies were so badly damaged. I stood at the door and I walked out. I said, I'm not going to, mm. to get into that place. And it came out one of the guys that passed away did not stay far from where my family stayed in George. Oh. They found a payslip in his pocket and then they identified him and they stayed, he stayed close to us. And then the other one that was worst for me, one of, as I said, I was the only female, but females started to join after me. This girl was a good netball player. She could have been a South African netball player. Yeah. She wasn't shot and killed by the boyfriend with her own firearm. Mm. That was worse and all of us were on duty. We couldn't do anything. He locked her in the house and he killed her. Now we have to go to the mortuary to identify it. I refused. That was the worst in my career. Yeah, because um, you knew the person. Yeah, and I think two years ago also I attended um, the killing of a policewoman. I looked at my picture yesterday while I was sitting on the stoop at the shop. She was just shot and killed for no reason by a, a robber. So those stuff, the death of people was worse for me in my mm. career. I'm sure. Listen, mm. I've got to tell you this story quickly. Mm. You talk about the morgue. So there's a, there's a picture. It's not of the exact thing that happened. But mm. apparently in 1993, and I just want to hear your thoughts on this, an incident unfolded involving a 24-year-old South African called Sipo William Tleche and his fiancée. They were in a devastating car accident. His fiancée survived while he sustained injuries that were so severe that the first responders on the scene thought he was killed and he was fatally wounded. Consequently, he was taken to the morgue. For 48 hours, this guy was confined in a cold metal cabinet at the morgue and against all odds, mm -mm. he miraculously regained consciousness and he began desperately crying for help and pounding on the, the, the inside of the morgue uh, tray that mm. he was in. Eventually, they rescued him and he was reunited with his fiancée who was understandably shocked to see him alive. She'd been told he was dead. But he was alive and he banged on the door Jeez. until they opened it up. He was in there for 48 hours. Can you imagine? Like no fluids, no food, nothing. nothing. How I, terrible is that? I don't want to read those stuff because no. I'm very claustrophobic. <laughs> Just Oof. imagine myself in that thing. I don't use lifts at all because I'm too claustrophobic. Wow. Really? So you no. always use the stairs? Even if it's ninth floor, so I will walk. <laughs> I don't sure. go into that thing because I'm always having the fear I can't get out. Mm. Did you walk around in that uniform with pride because you'd earned your rank, you were respected in your community? I mean, a lot of police people don't feel the same way, but I'm sure you did. Very proudly. Yeah. Mm. Very proudly. And we would teach... The way to walk. Yes. How does that work? And how to wear your handbag. Remember, I'm coming from the old regime. Yes. While at college on Wednesdays, we had a grooming session. Yes. That we had to go to a certain lady. She was training models in Cape Town. Yeah. So she will train us how to stay a woman in this environment. Oh, that's clever. Because yeah. uh, you, otherwise you lose your, your femininity because yes. you're doing all this masculine yeah. stuff the whole so time. So we had to always your right hand must be not occupied by anything because you can come across someone that you have to salute. Yes. We were not allowed to go and shopping. With and shopping bags. Your bag must always be in your left hand. <laughs> and that's, and they taught you how to walk properly. Yes, properly. De deportment. Yeah. Right. We, yeah. We walk, I, mm. I remember I had to attend a similar class mm. um, in my journalism studies. Mm. Really? Yeah. 
didn't work for you. <laughs> no. I've seen you carrying, <laughs> I've seen you schlepping bags. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this old lady on Wednesday, she teach us because in the police we walk left, right, left, right, left, right. Ne? And then she turned, uh, teach us to walk right, left when you are outside the uniform. You must walk on another. This is what she teach us. Wow. <laughs> These are things we don't know that yeah. the police learn. So I don't know if they still do it, but mm. every Wednesday we had this. And I want to pay homage to Lieutenant General Jefta and General Major General Person. They also retired. Okay. They were our platoon sergeants and our PT instructors. So they, the one stayed with us in, and she kept us obey with everything. But inside that, we were also naughty. <laughs> Breaking camp that you are not supposed to do. Yeah. So we had to sometimes also be naughty because, but you had to be disciplined. And I remember my mum instilled on us to read. Read. Always had books. Everything. Magazines. So while I was at college, my newspapers were delivered at college. So every day I got my Afrikaans newspaper, The Burger. On Sundays I get the report because English newspapers were not so available. And I remember one Sunday they did not deliver my newspaper. And in Bishop Leivas, I just walked out of the gate and I went and I bought my newspaper. And you weren't meant to? No, I was not supposed to. And when I came back, the duty sergeant found me walking in. And he said, now I must be punished. I told him, read the newspaper, you can give it back to me after you read it. Please don't punish me. <laughs> so I walked back to the barracks and then I, I got my newspaper back from him. <laughs> a lot of naughty stuff that we did, but it was like. Well, it's not like you set the place yes, on fire. It, it made, no, it makes <laughs> it makes your your period at the college more nicer for you. Of course. Because six months. You're a human being. You're not a machine. Yeah, six months was, it could have been a long time. I remember I went twice home in that period. Now, now, what about this? Carl says, please ask Catherine's opinion on cops being too fat. <laughs> Do you have something to say about that? Um, I had that journey. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Um, but I've managed to take myself back and I'm attending the gym. Very good. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I've lost a lot of kilos. Um, but now the police officers are now, they got special prizes at, the certain gyms that the National Commission yes, just recently. announced it Correct. recently. Last year they just announced joined this. the gym so, Catherine, and stay healthy. We've only got a couple of minutes here. Yeah. I just want to find out what you're up to now because you've retired. So you were joking. You said to me you're only on a SASA grant now. <laughs> but what, what happens now for you? Because you're still a person who can add so much value. Uh, you're not finished yet. You're, you're young. I know people who are still working much older than you. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah, now I... I want to share you a little story. I went recently to Cape Town to my son, and at a certain mall, they have um, parking space for disabled people, and they have parking space for parents with kids, and then pensioners. pensioners. So my son said to me, we are going to the mall. And then he parked. He said, today we are parking close to the door, and I did not understand. <laughs> and then we got out of the car, and then the car guard came and said, why are you parking here? My son would say, this one is a pensioner. He refers to me. <laughs> and this guy looked at me and he didn't believe me. And I took out my ID and said, yes. And then we walk off. I said, my son, why did you expose your mother? He said, yeah, you must accept that you are pensioner now. <laughs> but they didn't think you were old. No. Yeah. Um, well, this is what I'm saying. You've still got a lot of energy. I am relocating to Cape Town very soon. 
Very good. Because now I can be with my family. You told me you were house hunting this weekend. Yes, okay. I did. And I have this small little thingy that I'm doing that kept me busy throughout my career that I can paint. Mm, I can nice. do some decoupage stories. So oh, I'm, lovely. I'm going to do that. But I also going into another area, maybe. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. But I would love to join an NGO still to empower women in the community. I think that's a very good idea. Yes, I think so you have lots I'm to give. I'm looking forward yeah. to my new life in Cape Town. I'm four minutes away from the beach. And you said your son oh. lives there, but your daughter is in China. Yes, she's seven years in China now. What's she doing there? She's teaching English, maths, oh, and science. Okay. Very good. Yes. She's staying in Beijing, somewhere in Beijing. Sure. Yeah. Um, I thank God for the life of my family and my kids. I think during this thing, being a mom, a station commander, I've tried to put them on the straight line. But I was always saying you lose so much out um, mm. that you are not available for your kids. And now they are adults. They are no longer kids. Yeah. Try to bond with them. You're making a nuisance of yourself. <laughs> they have their own lives. <laughs> Mommy, I'm busy. I can't talk to you now. Yeah. I'm telling you, but I remember during World Cup 2010, Yeah. I worked for nearly 19 days, night shifts, without getting off. Wow. So you must have been exhausted when that finished. When I get home, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. So I you still had work to do? Yes. And my daughter was at university there, and her classes start at night, so I had to transport her to <laughs> university. Coming back to Aydedal, where we met Gareth, um, it was a good experience for me. I love that community, but I had to take care of myself and move to Joburg also. And this is where I met you and the team. Mm -hmm. I remember my interview one morning when you worked somewhere else, six o'clock in the morning, I was on air with you. Yeah. And someone called me very high up in the structure, say, oh, you are on the radio. I've listened to your chat with Gareth. I saw, did I do anything wrong? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just proud of you. That's, that's okay. lovely. Thank you. That's lovely. Yeah. So. Uh, Jody says, stomach in, chest out. That's how offices <laughs> must look. Yes. And I can, I occur when I'm outside now, but inside they must do it. I now at, at my last station, Sabenza. Yeah. We are three or four. Where's at, Sabenza? In Kempton Park area. Okay. Yeah. So we keep taps on each other. Three of them are runners. I'm doing the gym, eating healthy. Fantastic. So every day they will call me, what did you do today? Right. What did you eat? So we keep taps on It's a bit of a family, the police, yes, right? I, I mean, I went to, I went to the ballistics and, and uh, the lab in Pretoria mm. the other day. And everybody kind of asks each other about their kids. It's very mm. much a family. It's an yes. extended family community. And, and I am happy to live at a very high point of my career. Yes. I left a very... Family-orientated police station. Um, one called me yesterday to say, I know we need to let go, but we miss you. And I oh, also miss them. That's very sweet. Um, I started a vegetable garden at the police station. I think they are busy harvesting now. And that vegetable, those vegetables must go to the needy people, to an old age home and to a disabled home. Well, I think you've done more than plant <laughs> a vegetable garden. Yeah. You've planted seeds that will... Grow yes. trees, the shade of which you won't sit in, but that will help yes. people ahead of but you. But I am happy to be out now to love my next journey, but well, I will miss people. We're very happy to have spent some time with you this morning. Mm. So thank, thank you, you so very much, much. And it's lovely I, to see you. Yes, I'm very privileged to be on your show. I always listen to your show. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> But thank you so much also for what you've done in my life. Well, although it was not. It's not, it's not a lot. It's yeah, hardly but anything. But I, I value your 
presence in my life. But I just want to show people there's your there's your cake when you left. They made a cake out of a policewoman's hat. <laughs> it's very impressive. And then they also this is your platoon back in 1984. Hey, guess where I am? Look at that. Which one is you? Right at the front. No, at, at the, the back. back the last one. The last one on, on your the left back. hand side. Wow. That's, that's you, huh? Yes. This, is, this you. was our... That's you? That's me. That's fantastic. Yes. So that was also 1984. That was 85. Sure, that's incredible. Yeah. And this is the uniform that we used to wear yeah. in the winter. We never had trousers like now and boots Oof. and stuff. Yeah. Cold winter, you will go like this and walk on a road block mm. at Penthouse. Well, listen, you've, you've done good work and thank you, thank you for your service. Yeah. I mean, I get to say that. Thank you so much. But I also want to thank the police for allowing me to be a police officer. Um, and I never deviate from my target to say I want to serve and protect. No matter the turmoil, no matter not being promoted, I don't care. I've served the community. I'm very happy yes. to hear that. Thank you thank so Thank you, much. Catherine. And thank you, everybody. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Cheers. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.